I start at page 150. Social responsibilities. In Islam, it is considered highly essential that those in authority should be sensitive to the cause of the people to a degree that there is no need to form pressure groups. According to the Holy Quran, the ruler is repeatedly held responsible and answerable to God for the state of affairs of those who are under him and placed under his trust. In one of the traditions of the Holy Founder وسلم, of Islam, we read, Each of you is like a shepherd to whom the sheep belong. He is entrusted with the responsibility of tending the sheep. You will be held answerable. This tradition mentions the various relationships in which one can be in charge of other human beings. Example, master of a servant, the, ser the wife who is the lady of the house and the father as head of the family who are both responsible for the entire family, and the employer who is responsible for the employees under him, and so on and so forth. And each time the Holy Prophet ﷺ repeated, Remember, you will be held responsible and answerable. An example from early Islam. Once Umar anhu, the second caliph in Islam, was passing through a street in a suburb of Medina at night. It was his custom to walk the streets incognito to see for himself at first hand what was happening to the people under his authority. He heard from a house the cries of children who seemed to be in some pain. His inquiry revealed that there were about three children sitting around a fire on which a kettle or pot was boiling, and their mother was sitting by them. He inquired what had happened. She said, My children were hungry. I have nothing to feed them. It is only to console them that I have put some water and some stones in the kettle or pot to create the impression that food is being cooked. That is what you see. In deep pain and anguish, Umar anhu, immediately returned to his seat of government. He procured some flour, butter, meat and dates and put them in a bag. He asked a slave standing nearby for help in putting the bag on his back. The slave, in surprise, asked Umar anhu, why he wanted to carry it himself and asked that he should be permitted to carry the bag instead. Umar anhu, replied, No doubt you can carry this weight for me today, but who will carry my burden on the Day of Judgment? He meant that on the Day of Judgment, the slave would not be in a position to answer on Umar's behalf as to how he discharged his responsibilities. He had to do it himself. It was also a sort of self-inflicted penance because Umar anhu felt responsible for the misery of a helpless poor woman and her children whom he had just witnessed. He felt, in fact, that the entire township and its affairs were his ultimate responsibility, a trust he had to discharge himself. It is impossible for the head of every government to physically emulate what Umar anhu did, but in both spirit and attitude, Umar anhu remains an excellent model. This is the spirit which must be followed by modern societies everywhere. If the governments become sensitive to the cause and sufferings of the people, then, even before the people began, begin to give voice to their pain and sense of deprivation, 
those in authority would be compelled to take remedial measures, not because of demands from fear, but from the impelling voice of their own conscience. Extended Boundaries of Expenditure The Holy Quran enlarges the boundaries of what should be spent in the cause of Allah to vast dimensions. An oft-repeated phrase in the Holy Quran, hard to come by elsewhere, is and the true believers spend in our cause of whatsoever we ourselves have bestowed upon them. This covers all faculties, qualities and also, of course, every type of material possession, human relationship and ties. The phrase also covers such values as honor, peace, comfort, etc. In short, nothing conceivable is beyond the domain of the Arabic expression Again, it is striking how the usage of the word min, literally, something of, or of that, brings the advice within access of everyone. It does not mean that you should spend all or any fixed portion of that we have given you in our cause. All that is required is that you should spend something of that which God has given you. The scope of something is so variable that even ordinary weak people who do not find the strength to make substantial sacrifices can at least participate to whatever degree they can afford. This is the atmosphere of social services which Islam endeavors to promote. It belongs partly to the social behavior of man and partly concerns his economic activities. In an economy where the entire society is possession-oriented and is only concerned with what it can take. It is very hard and impractical to draw a line between what is foul and fair. Such a society is most likely to trespass into the domain of the rights of others than to remain within its own boundaries. On the other hand, a society which is constantly reminded and trained to give to others more than their dues should be furthest from usurping the rights of others. It is hard to imagine how exploitation can flourish in such a climate. Service to others The principle of the Islamic concept of service is described in a single verse so beautifully and comprehensively. It states, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'roof wa tanhawna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah O people of Islam, you are the best people ever raised for the good of mankind because you have been raised to serve others. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil and believe in Allah. You will remain the best as long as you are service-minded. If you fail to serve others, then you no longer have a right to boast of the superiority of Islam and the Muslim Ummah. Prohibition of drinking and gambling when one talks of addiction, generally, drugs come to mind. There is another connotation of addiction in a wider sense, which is seldom associated with the word addiction. I refer to society's regard for certain modes of pleasure, namely drinking and gambling, neither of which argues well for the peace and good of society. Gambling is institutionalized in almost all advanced countries of the world, but even in some third world countries, where it is not institutionalized on such a large scale, 
Gambling is found almost at every level as a small-time individual occupation. Drinking is the second addiction to which societies of the world have fallen prey. The Holy Quran prohibits both gambling and drinking. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, innama al-khamru wal-maysir wal-ansab wal-azlam rijsum min amal al-shaytan, fajtanibuhu la'allakum tuflihun. إنما يريد الشيطان أن يوقع بينكم العداوة والبطاء في الخمر والميسر ويصدكم عن ذكر الله وعن الصلاة فهل أنتم منتهون؟ All ye who believe, wine and the game of hazard and idols and divining arrows are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork. So shun each one of them that you may prosper. Satan desires only to create enmity and hatred among you by means of wine and the game of hazard, and to keep you back from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. But will you keep back? The Holy Prophet ﷺ declared drinking to be Ummul Khabaith, the mother of all evils. The two addictions are so widespread and universal in nature that it is hard to draw a dividing line. Politically, the East and West may never merge, but perhaps in ever greater propensity towards gambling and drinking, East and West, the North and South have already met. Both drinking and gambling are socio-economic evils. The amount spent on drinking in one day in Great Britain is enough to feed the famine-stricken multitudes of Africa for many weeks. Yet, in the most poverty-stricken countries of Africa and other continents. Drinking is not considered a luxury that people cannot afford. Having failed to provide for the basic necessities of life and their children's education, there are millions of Africans who would still have access to the consumption of alcohol. In the poor south of India, where factory-made wine is not available to all, homemade toddy serves as a substitute. However, poverty does deter the spread of the mother of all evils to a degree. If the per capita income rises, so does the expenditure on drink. Until someone becomes an alcoholic, nobody seems to care much about it. One may wonder why drinking and gambling should be treated as problems of the contemporary world, while in fact they are as ancient as the records. They are as ancient as the records of human history go. Indeed, wine and gambling have been found in every age and part of the world. Yet. By their very nature of being timeless, they can be considered as problems of all ages. In economics, gambling is more objectionable than drinking. In gambling, money changes hands without pushing the wheel of economy, just as money is exchanged from money without an underlying exchange of commodity in the money markets. In gambling, money changes hands without participating in the process of economic development. And production of wealth, though some economic purpose is served in the money markets, almost none is served in gambling. Under a free trade and industry environment, money does not change hands without serving the economy in material form. In trade and commerce, the exchange of value, more often than not, is beneficial for all concerned. It is inconceivable that the majority of traders should most often suffer losses. While in gambling, as a rule, a large majority of participants suffer losses most of the time.
For instance, few casinos go bust. For the gain of a few, hundreds of thousands of people must suffer. The only value they get in exchange for the money they lose is the excitement and thrill of suspense until the realization that they have lost their stick at last dawns upon them. After that, they begin to wager again with a slim chance of recouping their losses until the tension and stresses grow far beyond the pleasure of excitement they receive in the bargain. The anguish and the heartache no longer remain a private matter for an individual but begin to tell on family relationships. In the poorer sections of society, the daily needs of family members have to be sacrificed at the altar of gambling. The Holy Quran, while prohibiting drinking and gambling, acknowledges that there is, of course, some partial benefits to be derived from them, but most certainly their harm always outweighs their advantage. يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ قُلِ الْعَفْوَ كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَفَكَّرُونَ They ask thee concerning liquor and gambling. Tell them, there is great harm in both and also some benefit for people. But their harm is greater than their benefit. And they also ask thee what they should what shall they spend? Tell them, whatever is spare. Thus does Allah make his commandments clear to you, that you may reflect. It may be argued that to acquire pleasure from the money which one earns is nobody else's concern. Let everyone enjoy himself as he pleases. Society has no right to interfere in individual freedom to the extent that one should be told where one may spend one's earnings. But it should be remembered that most religious teachings are by way of admonitions and warnings. Coercive measures here on earth have no part to play in the teachings of any religion unless specific crimes are committed against others. Crimes which are recognized as such even from a non-religious point of view. Murder, theft, fraud, corruption and usurpation of rights fall under this category. But there are other social crimes which, in according to religions, are poisonous for society as a whole. Yet, the penalty for such crimes is not meted out individually. Society as a whole suffers. It is the broader social laws which pass the sentence. Indulgence in liquor and gambling does not take very long to become overindulgence for society as a whole. But that is no surprise. Moreover, such societies always become progressively more expensive to maintain. A sizable portion of the national wealth continues to be flushed down the drain. Frustration grows in this atmosphere. Crimes go hand in hand with both liquor and gambling. Miseries and tragedies of many homes where the peace of family life is shattered is the ever-increasing byproduct of drinking and gambling. Many a broken home and ruined marriage are the direct outcome. Alcoholism has serious economic and social consequences as indicated by the magazine Scientific American. Apart from domestic violence, there is child abuse, incest and rape due to the removal of inhibitions under the influence of alcohol and fatal alcohol syndrome. Mortality statistics. 10-year decrease in life expectancy in alcoholics 
two times the usual death rate in men, three times the usual rate in women, six times the usual suicide in alcoholics. Alcohol is a major factor in the four leading causes of death in men between ages 25 and 44. Accidents, 50%. Homicide, 60%. Suicides, alcoholic cirrhosis. Economic toll per year. Lost production, $14.9 billion. Healthcare costs, $8.3 billion. Accident losses, $4.7 billion. Fire losses, $0.3 billion. Cost of violent crimes, $1.5 billion. Cost of response by society to above, $1.9 billion. Total cost of alcohol abuse, $31.6 billion. Drinking, gambling, music, dancing, and other modes of pleasure are largely considered innocent pursuits by most societies of the world. They are presented as essential parts of different cultures. Though the modes of expressions change from society to society, the basic features remain the same. Bearing sculpture, painting, etc., most of the pursuits mentioned earlier no longer remain as innocent features of culture, but become hard taskmasters which sometimes overburden and break the backbone of society. Society is no longer the master of its trends. Drinking, gambling, music, dancing, etc. invariably begin to attract increasing attention from society. The speed at which they capture the youth does not take very long to become a stampede. Looking at such societies, one may be led to believe that the seeking of vain pleasures and total submission to the sensual desires is, in fact, the very purpose of man's creation. Not so according to Islam. In the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the night and day, there are indeed signs for men of understanding. Those who remember Allah standing, sitting and lying on their sides and ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth, say, Our Lord, thou hast not created this in vain. Nay, holy art thou. Save us then from the punishment of the fire. This is the declaration attributed by the Holy Quran to the wise servants of Allah, who, after pondering over the riddle of creation and life, spontaneously exclaimed that, whatever the purpose of creation be, it is not vanity. These verses of the Holy Quran remind one of the great expression of joy by Archimedes when he shouted, Eureka! Thus, there are two completely different climates. According to the Holy Quran, man has been created to achieve the noble goal of pursuing the path which leads to his creator. In this wider meaning of worship, the Holy Quran declared, I have not created jinn and men, but to worship me. In examining each mode of seeking pleasure, one may not find much fault with any to justify their total ban.
particularly in the free societies of the world, it is very difficult for the people to understand why Islam is so Puritan to the extent of dryness. Islam is not at all dry and boring, howsoever it may seem so from a distance. First of all, those who acquire a taste for goodness also learn to draw sublime pleasure out of an act which may seem rather drab to the outsider. Secondly, the more fortunate among those who experience the true love of God transcend to a state of sublimity from where worldly pleasures appear too lowly, base, meaningless, and transient. Thirdly, in this much broader application, a society not given to the pursuit of pleasure is not left empty-handed at the end of a day. In the final analysis, it turns not only to be an exchange of value, excitement, acceleration, intense sensual experiences and explosive raptures are battered for peace, tranquility, equilibrium, growing sense of security, nobility and contentment, which as a reward per se is the noblest of all rewards. When the two social atmospheres and climates are compared as a whole, it is not difficult at all to understand that the tree of God's love and devotion to him can seldom take root in the materialistic climate of a fun-loving society. Of course, there are exceptions, but exceptions do not make the rule. The two climates are very different. I end at page 161.